As we continue in this fearless series, my message today is looking at this story of two individuals by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. The message is entitled, Integrity Lives. And um, we're going to start at the very end of Acts chapter 4, and we're going to work our way into Acts chapter 5. And um, very interesting account. And before we read, I just want to tell you this. As we walk through this, there might be a feeling or a sense of condemnation. And I just want to tell you something right now. That is not from God. Okay? Uh, Brian, you mentioned this during worship, that in Romans 8, the Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I will tell you this. The Holy Spirit does convict us of our sin. And we can walk through conviction. Conviction is a good thing. It helps us to lead more godly lives. Those times where maybe we mess up or we're drifting and we need the Holy Spirit to bring us back onto the path of God. The Holy Spirit helps us to live lives that are sanctified, meaning set apart or holy, and He helps us grow in the process of sanctification, which means we look more and more like Christ as His work is being done in our life. Conviction from the Holy Spirit is a good thing, but there will be no condemnation here from the Lord. Condemnation is something that comes from Satan. He wants to shame you. So if at any point we're walking through this and we're going to talk about the seriousness of sin and the importance of holiness, please allow the Holy Spirit to speak into your life. Don't allow Satan to speak into your life. And we believe this is God's Word and He speaks to us through His Word. And so let's take a moment right now to pray just to settle our hearts to receive from Him today. So will you pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, I thank You for this day. I thank you for your word and how you teach us, you instruct us, and help us to live godly lives. And Lord, as we dig into the scripture today, I pray that you would speak powerfully into every life. And Lord, that we would apply your word. And we thank you so much for this time. Settle our hearts to receive right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 32. The Bible says that all the believers were united in heart and mind. Now, I want you to understand something before we continue. Jesus died, he rose again, and when he ascended into heaven, he told the disciples, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon the church, and people are getting saved, and there's thousands of of believers in the early church, and we're getting a picture of how these believers are operating. Right out the gate, the scriptures say they were united in heart and mind. Take it, thousands of people united in heart and mind. Carrying on, it says, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything that they had. And the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was a man, Joseph, 
the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And he was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus, and he sold a field he owned, and he brought the money to the apostles. Now we're going to move to Acts chapter 5. And it says, But there was a certain man named Ananias, who with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming that it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. And as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and he died. Whoa. Could you imagine in a setting like this, someone falling over dead? Wouldn't that get your attention? It kind of grip you a little bit, especially after what Peter just said. News would probably travel quickly of what happened during today's service. And you see in verse 5, everyone who heard about it was terrified. You can imagine the fear and how that went across the people who were present as well as those who heard about it. Verse 6 The Bible says, Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out to be buried. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. I wonder what's going to happen. Peter asked her, Was this the price that you paid, or was this the price that you and your husband received for your land? And she said, Yes, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor, and she died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead... They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. It's almost like these were ushers. Could you imagine? You just got back, right? And then, seriously, again, they take her out as well. But you can imagine what was going on in people's minds. In verse 11, the Bible says, Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. It's a pretty intense passage. Not exactly light reading, you know. I'm sure it's something you can read right before you go to bed, and it's just so peaceful and great fear gripped the church. I want to read to you a couple paragraphs here from a website called Got Questions. God's reasons for bringing about the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira involve his hatred 
of sin. The hypocrisy of the couple and the lesson for the rest of the church, both at that time and also for us now. There's a lesson to be learned from these two losing their life. Let's not overlook that today. It can be easy today to gloss over the holiness of God, to forget that He is righteous and pure and that He hates sin wholeheartedly. And this particular sin of hypocrisy in the church is dealt with swiftly and decisively. And the sudden and the dramatic deaths of Ananias and Sapphira serve to purify and also warn the church. Right away in the church's infancy, God made it plain that hypocrisy and deceit were not going to be tolerated. And his judgment of Ananias and Sapphira helped guard the church against future deceptions. It's a pretty intense passage. In verse 2, it talks about how Ananias and Sapphira had kept back some of the proceeds for themselves. The New Testament is written in this language called Greek. And the word for kept back is this word nosfizo. Sure, we've all heard that this week in our general conversations with people. But if you were to look at the definition of this word in the Greek, it's to set aside for oneself, to appropriate for my own benefit. But another translation or another definition is to rob or to steal. Think of that. He kept this back. There's a negative meaning to this word, and it's an uncommon word, and it's used another place in Scripture. So I said the New Testament is in Greek, and the Old Testament, for the most part, is in this language called Hebrew. And with Greek being the common language at the time, they actually translated the Old Testament into Greek, and it's called the Septuagint. And in the Septuagint, they use this word, nosfizo, in Joshua chapter 7. And it's a story about a man named Achan. And if you know this story, they defeat a city and God says, all this stuff that's going to be left behind, that's useful, can be brought to my treasury. So gold and silver and different items were brought back into God's treasury, but this man named Achan kept back Nosfiso for himself. Achan stole items that were dedicated to the Lord, and he and his whole family died because of this sin. Sound familiar? The Bible says that the nation of Israel violated God's instructions. Even though it was Achan, the Bible says the whole nation violated. And so we need to understand that sin affects more than just me. When I make decisions that are ungodly, it affects the people around me. Disobedience 
carries consequences. I want to back us up to a couple of the first books of the Bible. In Leviticus chapter 10, the priest Aaron, he has two sons that are serving in God's presence, and they begin to burn incense in the Lord's presence, only in disobedience they burn the wrong kind of fire. And so right there in the presence of the Lord, they die. That's pretty heavy. In the book of Numbers, chapter 16, there was a man named Korah, and he had established a rebellion against Moses and Aaron. You want to know what happens to him? The earth opens up, and Korah, who's leading the rebellion, along with all these people who joined him, and their households, into the ground... And then the earth swallows them back up. That's pretty heavy. And you think, well, these are Old Testament examples. Aaron and his sons, Korah and the rebellion, Achan and the nation of Israel. You know, God was a God of fierce wrath and judgment in the Old Testament. But now we live in the New Testament age, one of grace and love And I want you to understand something. Acts chapter 5 with the story of Ananias and Sapphira comes after the work of the cross when Jesus died for you and for me. God does love, but he is also very serious about sin. Even today, God can still use death as judgment. 1 John 5.16 states that certain sin will actually lead to you losing your life. That's not exactly one we throw on the refrigerator, probably. But it's a serious reminder of how God looks at holiness and how He looks at sin. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 22 through 23, the Bible speaks of sinners suffering greatly unless they repent and turn away from sin. And then verse 23 says that they will be struck dead. They'll be struck dead. And all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and the intentions of every person. That's a New Testament passage of what is to come. And I will give to each whatever they deserve. We are in an age of grace. We are in a place to understand that God loves people so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for them on the cross. That's how serious God is about sin. He sent the answer to sin. But God is not just loving. He's just and loving. And sin has to be dealt with And if we linger around with sin, unfortunately, there's consequences. Last week, Scott Larson talked about transferring fear for fear. And he talked about that negative fear that we have and the things that are going on around us. And he looked at Ecclesiastes in the very last chapter where it says, To sum everything up is to fear God... 
and obey his commands. And when you live that way, you live in this fear and this reverence, awe of God, then you don't have to fear all of these negative things. But what we're seeing in Acts 5 and 11 goes beyond awe and reverence. The fear that's described here is a trembling. A trembling. Understanding what God's view is in regards to sin, what God's view is in regards to lying. Let's just break that down. Let's just see how God feels about lying. Starting with, if you've heard of the Ten Commandments, number nine, thou shalt not lie or give false testimony about your neighbor. It's also listed twice in a list of seven things that God hates in Proverbs chapter 6. He lists out seven things, and two on that seven are the same, and it's lying. God absolutely hates lying. And I think a big reason for that is because it absolutely opposes God's character. So let me break down for you God's character when it comes to truth. The first is, God does not lie, period. Even so much, the next step is, it's impossible for God to lie. Truth is his character. And every word of God proves true. We get a little bit of understanding of God's character in regards to truth, and we can see why he does not like lying and deception. Because it starts to enter in to the category of where Satan plays around. Let's look at Satan's character. First off, the Bible tells us Satan is the father of lies. He's the father of lies. John 8, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar, and he's the father of lies. 1 John 3, 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Whoa. Satan is the father of lies, and the other thing is he completely lacks truth. So God, it's impossible for him to lie. And Satan, he completely lacks truth. Two opposite ends here. In 1 John 3, 8, it continues on and it says that Satan has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. No truth in him. He deceives the world. Last characteristic here to touch on in Revelation 12, 9. The Bible tells us that Satan is the deceiver of the whole world. The deceiver of the whole world. I want to take us back to that word nosfizo. We looked at a number of different definitions of this word, but there's one more, and that is to abandon. And I want us to think about this. As Ananias and Sapphira kept back Nosfizo, the money, think about this. They abandoned God's truth for a lie. Nosfizo. 
Satan was able to deceive Ananias and Sapphira. We know this because Peter goes, why would you let Satan fill your heart? They were deceived, and I'm going to show you how this happens with three things. Three truths about lying right here. The first is you have to believe the lie. What's the lie here? Okay, if you're looking at this passage in Acts 4, verse 32, we talk about how all these believers are united in heart and in mind, but then the very next part of that verse, it says, these people felt that what they owned was not their own. That's the truth of what was going on. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. What you think is yours, newsflash, it's not. Everything you have belongs to God. The lie that Ananias and Sapphira believed is that what they had was actually their own. But it's not. So first they believe this lie, and then they make a decision. They choose the lie. At some point when they were together, maybe they just got done eating supper. Oh, man, we sold that property, didn't we, babe? Yeah. Hey, you know what? We should keep some of this back. They make that decision together. They're believing the lie that it's their own. Then they choose, we're going to hold this back. And then there's a point where they act on the lie. Ananias brings part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. They believe it, they choose it, and then they act on it. Total deception going on in their life. And you can see how... It was at work in their home. I want to read you something from Richard Strauss. The major sin of Ananias and Sapphira was dishonesty, deceit, hypocrisy, pretense, presenting a false image of themselves and implying a greater spirituality than they actually possessed, letting people on to think more highly of them than what they really had warranted to them. You think about this. How often do people walk through the doors of the church and allow people to kind of think more highly than what they actually are walking through in reality? This happens week in and week out. Things are going great. I read my Bible, dot, dot, dot. I mean, I think we're all guilty of, if you will, sort of trying to elevate ourselves when we're in the church. And we can be guilty, just like G.J. and Jane said, even just a little bit. Ananias and Sapphira were more interested in appearances than they were in reality. And Strauss goes on to say, when appearances are more important to us than reality. The people that we live with usually suffer for it. We are careful to veil most of the expressions of the flesh before other people, but then safely behind the walls of our own homes, we have a tendency to let it all hang out. All the anger, the temper, and all the unkindness and inconsiderateness and the selfish demands, the pride, the childish 
behavior comes out behind closed doors. And as a result, many Christian homes are riddled with wrangling and strife. The deception that enters into the home when we believe the lie, we choose the lie, we act on the lie. Satan not only deceives, but he seeks to destroy. He wants to eliminate every home, every life, every marriage, every relationship between parent and child. He is out to kill. When we understand that, there's a soberness that begins to work in our life that we have to get serious about living for God if we want to succeed in life. And I have a few final thoughts for us this morning that I wrote down here. And one thing to understand is that even in the most vibrant church community, Satan can still deceive. Think about these people, the early church, thousands They're united in heart and in mind. It sounds like a pretty cool environment to have church, doesn't it? Thousands of people who are sold out for Jesus, and they're selling off properties and bringing all the proceeds to the church and saying, let's take care of each other. Let's take care of the poor. Doesn't that sound like a pretty pure church to be involved in? And yet, in the midst of that environment, Satan deceives Ananias and Sapphira even under perfect conditions, if you will, Satan can grab a foothold. Another thought is that God is incredibly serious about holiness and sin. And we should take it serious too. I mentioned earlier how serious God really is, so serious that he sends his only son to suffer and be crucified and go through this horrible, excruciating death to pay the penalty and the price for the sin in our life. That's how serious God is about sin. We can look at a story like Ananias and Sapphira and we go, look how serious he is. You could be struck dead. But I want to look at how serious in the fact that God sent the answer for sin through sending his son Jesus. Proverbs 12, 22, the Bible says, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. It's important for us to embrace truth, to embrace integrity in our life. And my last thought is, you have nothing to fear when you live with integrity. One guy we don't really talk about very much in this particular account is this guy named Barnabas. We can fly right over him, but I want you to know, before Ananias and Sapphira step in on the scene, we see him as a guy who sold his properties, brought the money forward, and the Bible even calls him the son of encouragement. What did he have to fear? He was living life with integrity. And if you live with integrity, you don't have anything to fear. But if you choose deliberately to walk in a lifestyle of sin, understand that all sin needs to be reckoned and reconciled one way or the other. 
The Bible talks in Ephesians 6 about the armor of God, and one of the pieces of armor is called the breastplate of righteousness. And when you're in battle, and there's arrows, and there's swords, when you have something covering your body, especially the organ of the heart, muscle, for all you biology people, I probably got that wrong. But in the midst of this, you're protecting your vital organs with the breastplate. You're protecting your life. And when you're living a life right with God, you can stand in battle with that that understanding that there's nothing holding me back. There's not a known sin issue that I keep going back to or I keep carrying with me out onto the battlefield. I have the breastplate of righteousness. And I'm living with integrity. The Spirit of God imposes high standards of integrity. And even with this standard, you imagine in the early church, what just took place. Two people died at church today. I mean, you imagine the news and thinking they came, they gave, they gave to the church and they died. What do you think that's going to say in the community? I'm not going there, right? I mean, that would be your reaction, but I want you to understand something. This church kept growing, even when people were dying. Why would people want to go to a place where people are falling over dead? You want to know why? Because people know they want integrity in their life. They want to live with integrity. They want that. They're tired of the weight of living in sin. With integrity comes freedom. And freedom was found in this community of believers. And more and more people were coming to know Christ. And they were being set free. Integrity lives. And when people find that, it's great purpose. It's great meaning. But it's liberating to live in the integrity that God provides. There's a freedom. We think about all the things that Satan has a stronghold in people's lives. This grip that he has on them. That if they were able to just walk in integrity, that grip would be released in the name of Jesus. Yesterday, I was with about 20 people, and we were in the Manson area. We had that evangelism training. Awesome. If we ever do that again, I want to encourage you guys to get involved in that. We had some training to begin with, and then we broke up into teams, and we went throughout different communities, and we prayed for each other, with each other, and then we found people that we could minister to, whether we prayed for them, whether we shared Christ with them. And we all got back together, and we shared some testimonies at the end. And God did some really cool things Yesterday, But before we even got going out and doing ministry, we took time as a team to identify what are the strongholds that are going on in our area. What are specific things that we see Satan has a grip on in people's lives? And I want to give you some things that were discussed yesterday. And you can affirm or deny whether or not you see this in your life or the lives of people around you. The first stronghold is pride. We wanted to pray that God would release that stronghold on people. That that pride that I'm going to just do things my own way. 
that thought of my stuff is my stuff and I'm going to do whatever I want with my stuff. That's a pride issue. And that's a lie. A couple other areas of strongholds. Drunkenness. Drugs. Sexual sin. Broken families. Even a stronghold of busyness. Like I'm just really, I got a full plate, a full schedule, but I'm not really accomplishing anything in the kingdom of God. You might be under a stronghold of busyness. Another stronghold would be religion. Religion. I go to church. I say the prayers I need to say. We sing the songs, but I don't have a relationship with Jesus. But I think my religion has me in a right relationship with God. That is a stronghold. And there are people in our area that that stronghold is so real in their life. They think they're going to heaven, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus. Several months ago, Judah and I were at a park, and there was another uh, family there, and the kids were playing, and it was kind of like the parents are standing there watching their kids and also doing a little bit of interacting. And just in that conversation, you kind of, well, what do you do and what do you do? And sometimes when I get into that conversation, it can get really awkward quick. Like, oh, you're a pastor. Okay, kids, let's go, you know. But this individual, we kept in the conversation. And I just ask a question that I often ask when I'm having these kinds of conversations is, where do you go for your home church? Do you have a home church? And the individual said, "Um, well, um, I'm not really religious. And I probably shocked her a little bit with my response because I said, you know, I'm not really either. Because religious, religiosity, whatever you want to claim it as, it's a stronghold in people's lives. And they think they're good with God, but they're lacking the depth of a relationship with God. Another stronghold would be apathy. Thinking, I'm good to go. I've got a relationship with God. And so because people are apathetic, they're not going anywhere with that relationship. It's just like I got my little ticket into heaven, and now I'm just, I'm good, I'm set. Well, God has a purpose for you in that relationship. What are you going to do with it? And this last stronghold, this is where, you, you know, Satan, Satan is really good at picking people off. He gets you to believe the lie. He gets you to choose that, and then he gets you to act on it. And then once you've acted on it, he flips this totally around, and he shames you. Remember earlier I talked about condemnation? It's like Satan is just pointing his big bony finger at you and saying, you're worthless, look what you did, how could you do such a thing? You'll never be effective for God, you might as well just give up. This is how Satan works to destroy people's lives. And I want to give you three truths about truth. They're the same as the truths about lies. You got to believe the truth. You must make decisions of truth. You have to choose truth and then you act on it. You act in truth. Integrity is something that we have to choose every single day. And sometimes it's hard. You can get into some pretty sticky and messy situations 
while you're trying to do ministry in our culture. Whether you're a teacher, whether you're owning your own business, you're a farmer or a pastor, we can get into some pretty awkward situations that take courage to step out with integrity. But integrity is still the best choice. And I like this quote. I don't know who it's from, but it says, I would rather be known in life as an honest sinner than a lying hypocrite. How many honest sinners are tuning in today? Let's be honest with ourselves, with our situation, and first and foremost with God, and live lives of integrity. As we close today, I want to just ask you a few questions of reflection. The first one is this. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? Is there something he's saying to you right now? Is there any area of your life in which you've abandoned truth? No sfiso, you've abandoned truth. Is there any area of deception in your life that needs God's truth brought into the equation? And is there something that God is wanting you to do? People all around us, including ourselves, we can start living lies. But the most important lie is that you can get through this life and you can also make, make it to heaven without Jesus. That is a lie. God's truth says we're all sinners and we desperately need Jesus. That is the only way we can make it in this life and make it to heaven. And so the last question I would have for anybody that's listening right now is do you have that relationship with Christ? You cannot do life without him and succeed. And you cannot make it to heaven without him. And I'm going to invite, as we pray, anybody that would desire to receive Jesus just to simply pray with me to receive him into your life. So let's close now with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your truth. Integrity lives. Lord, you're serious about sin and as we've said so serious that you sent your son to die on a cross to pay the penalty and the price for sin and if there's anyone listening right now that would desire to receive Jesus Christ into their life just simply pray with me right now in your heart and say Jesus today I come to you knowing that I need help. I am a sinner and I need a Savior. And today I ask for forgiveness of my sin and ask that you would help me. Forgive me. Cleanse me and make me new. Help me to live 
for you from this day forward. And I thank you for this gift of salvation. And thank you for being my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have just a couple of closing announcements before the doxology. I just want to make a note here that if you're here with us today or joining us online and you prayed to receive Christ into your life, to uh, receive him as your Lord and Savior, we have a resource for you if you would desire that's called Now What? And it's the next steps that you can take on your spiritual journey. And this resource is available at our welcome desk right outside the sanctuary, and it comes with a free Bible. And if you're watching online, this resource is also available. If you go to faithccpalmer.org forward slash now dash what, there's an electronic copy of this, and you can also request a Bible on that page. Also, if you're a guest with us today, if you're online, please send us a message, make a connection with us. We'd love to get to know you more. And if you're in the building and you're a guest with us, if this is one of your first times here or uh, just checking things out, please come see me at the guest table. We have a gift for you, thanking you for being a part of our service today. And uh, just a couple reminders about volunteering as we get ready for the fall launch in just about two weeks. And uh, we want to encourage you to fill out those volunteer guides so we can be putting people in different places as we serve together in the kingdom. And also to note that when we launch the Saturday night service on the 12th of September, it would be very helpful to me to know who we might have here to be able to put in, uh, in the team, if you will, for greeting and, and being a part of some fellowship that's going on and maybe even some music and, and some technical assistance, all of those things. It would be helpful to know if you're considering attending that Saturday night service. There's a clipboard at the welcome desk. You can sign up for that service to help guide me. And um, the other thing to, to note is for those who are watching online, a link is being provided for you right now to sign up for the Saturday night service. It will be a little different than what's going on here on Sunday mornings in that the music will be a little different. The atmosphere will be a little bit different. It's actually in the West Fellowship Hall. The message will be the same. Whether you come Saturday night or you come Sunday, that'll be the same. And so since we're going back to one service, this is also helpful in creating that space in the building if some would rather go on Saturday versus Sunday, depending on what your schedule is that weekend. You can also go to both. You're welcome to go to both. We're not forcing you one direction or the other. But we feel that God's going to do some neat outreach and ministry with that Saturday night service. We feel that there's more of an opportunity for people to get saved at 6 o'clock on Saturdays rather than the 8.30 service that we've been offering through the summer. So pray with us over the launch of that service starting on September 12th. Lastly, if you're joining us online and you'd love somebody to pray with you, uh, we do have a team that can make that connection with you, so please let us know, and we'd be happy to reach out. As we close in prayer, uh, following that prayer will be the doxology video, and then I'll have a few things in closing for those that are in the building. So will you pray with me as we close this service? Father, we thank you so much for speaking into our hearts and lives through your word. Lord, you're serious about holiness and you're serious about sin. So help us to walk with integrity. We ask for your grace and blessing over every home that is tuned in to worship with us today. Lord, thank you for your grace and power that are on display through Jesus Christ. 
And we thank you for this now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.